Aloha football fans question. What type of leadership is required to build a championship team? Hear that and more from a coach who has won a national championship at the Power 5 level and a Super Bowl championship. Tips and overthrows. Gotta get those. Aloha football fans, I'm Coach A.K. Martinez. Welcome to Tips and Overthrows, the football podcast, where we take deep dives into the sport of football, behind the scenes, and in the game to provide insights that most people don't get to hear about. Well, until now. On today's show, we have one of the best offensive coaches in the country. He has reached the championship pinnacle in his career, coaching at the Power 5 college level and the NFL. He has coached multiple All-Americans and All-Pro players. Today, he will share with us insights about dominant receiver play, skill development, and leadership traits of championship teams. We are blessed and honored to have on the podcast Coach Curtis Johnson, Offensive Senior Assistant for the New Orleans Saints. Let's get after it. Let's talk ball. All right, before we get started on today's podcast, let's get into Coach Curtis Johnson's bio. 36 years of coaching experience, including four as head coach at Tulane University, as an assistant coach in the NFL, college, and high school. And over those years, he's mentored some of the game's top receivers, including Marquise Colson, Debbie Henderson, Ted Ginn Jr., Joe Horn, Alshon Jeffrey, Andre Johnson, Robert Meacham, Lance Moore, so many, Santana Moss, currently Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, Reggie Wayne, Devin Hester. There were a ton of guys. And as a coach, he's won several championships, including a national championship with the Miami Hurricanes and a Super Bowl championship with the New Orleans Saints. So with that, let's welcome to the show, Coach Curtis Johnson, CJ, my man. Welcome to the show, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. How you been, man? I'm good. How are you? How's the family doing? Angel doing well? Kids all grown up doing well? All, all doing great. All great. All doing good. And how about the other family? We, You know, the, the Saints family. A little bit of transition, only... Just a you know a Hall of Famer retiring. So how's that family? <laughs> <laughs> well, we try to get it together right now. That's what we in. We in free agency. I think we did good. We signed signed Jameis and Taysom. So we got nice. two familiar faces, and we'll be ready to go. Yeah, I think you guys get get a reload going. And what a great opportunity that Jameis got to be under that mentorship at least for the year, and then Taysom obviously all this time. So I'm sure you guys are not going to skip a beat. You and Peyton, Sean, and you guys get them rolling big time. I sure so, hope so. I, I think we've been blessed. I have all the faith in you, brother. So let, let's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's get started on some of these questions. I know you're going to give us some great insights today. Let's start and tell the listeners how you got your start in coaching. Where did you get your start in coaching? Actually, at the University of, of Idaho. I started actually in high school, and I was teaching and coaching in high school, and the kids, I wasn't tough enough, and the kids kind of ran me out. So, <laughs> so, so I, I went to the University of Idaho, Worked for Dennis Erickson, who's my former coach, mm-hmm. and then for Keith Gilbertson. And they got me going into coaching, and it's been the same ever since. I've been doing it for 35 years now. 35, yeah. For some reason, I was thinking 36, but yeah, 35 years. So in all well, of- I'm going in 36. You're going in 36. I got you. So in yes. all of these years, which leads us to the next question. So in all of these years of coaching, what were some of the most memorable coaching experiences? I'm sure there were many, but just any that stick out from different spots that you've been in? Well, you know, winning the, winning the national championship at the University mm-hmm. of Miami 
probably was my highlight in, in my college career. It was just being around so many great athletes, so recruiting and coaching so many great players from San Diego State, Cal Berkeley, SMU, and Idaho. And then Miami was, for 10 years, was, was just an outstanding opportunity and outstanding career. Is I couldn't have written it any better. Then I moved on with a friend of mine, Sean Payton, which we worked together at San Diego State in a 2009-10 season. We won a Super Bowl. And so that was one of the things that, you know, I'm so proud of just taking this program at the New Orleans Saints that never won anything. Coach Payton got in here and, and man, we just have been gangbusters ever since. And, you know, we got one Super Bowl and hope we can get another one. Nice. Yeah. Coach Sean, you guys have done a fantastic job setting a phenomenal standard, right, of what the organization is about. You can see that casual fan watching can see that, you know, let's take it back a little bit back to that Miami championship. And I just got to tell you how much I appreciate you and our friendship for all these years, too. You actually, you know, included us in that a little bit. You know, he called me up and said, hey, bro, I got a ticket. We're going to be in the Rose Bowl. And my daughter, Trinity, I don't know if you remember, she was born. She was only six months, six months old. And I said, told my wife, okay, listen, her first football game is the national championship. We're going. <laughs> and we rolled up. We, we were in Northern California. We got in the car. We drove down to L.A. Mm-hmm. Met you, remember that? Met you at a hotel. Got, you set us up, got the tickets. And, man, just to see that. And then after the game, here's a little funny story. I don't know if you remember this. You were holding Trinity. And then we were, we were out at, by the hospitality where all the players get the Greek family and everything. We're yes. hanging out. And I tell you, here's a funny story. My wife pulled out these pictures one year, probably about 15 years ago. She pulled out some pictures, maybe, maybe less than that. And it's Trinity, and she's being carried by all these players. And she's got pictures with all these players. And my wife says, babe, who is this? I said, that's Jeremy Shockey. <laughs> and then she said, who is this? I said, that's Clint Bordis. <laughs> I started naming, and then she, I, I was like, I didn't realize you had these pictures. And it's because I remember you were carrying Trinity and all the players were like, coach, whose baby is this? And next thing you know, they were just passing her around taking pictures. <laughs> so yeah, I always remember that time, man. What a, and, and that game, I think that game. Was, man, that, was, that, was, that was a great night. That great, was a great man, night. Great night. Jeez, let me tell you, I have never seen a team stack like that team. How many players in the league, and not just regular players, we're talking about guys that went all pro. I mean, Sean Taylor, I mean, Andre, Clint Portis, Buchanan, unbelievable, the talent. Ed Reed. Ed Ed Reed. Reed. Come on, man. Shockey. Well, I mean, come on. That was nuts. You you know, unbelievable. That was your recruiting. They had you on the staff. That was you, you know, getting all these guys. But yeah, so great memories, great memories. And out of all these years coaching, who were the funniest head coaches that you might have worked for? So guys that, you know, keep it light and had a good time, maybe play some pranks or something. Well, well, look, I would say this, Sean, Sean got to be, because we're similar, similar in age, he's mm-hmm. a lot of fun to work for. You know, he's, he, he would tell us at 2 a.m., yeah, it's a bunch of guys hanging out. You know, that's, that's his attitude. Yeah. Like, it's like we're always hanging out, and it'll always be something different, another story. You know, it's, he's, just, he's just a good boss, good guy to work for. We don't mind, you know, we up late a, a lot of times, but it's just a great atmosphere. It's a really good environment. You know, I really, I really like working for Keith Gilberson. Gilby had the right ideas about mixing work and pleasure. I just remember every Friday at Cal going down to the little uh, uh, hot link place and going yeah. down at the end of, the, of Asbury, and we'll yeah. have you know, some drinks and talking as a staff. It would be our Friday staff meeting. You mm. know, just, just that, like with Coach E, every Wednesday night we went to the Corner Club in Idaho. It was just, it was just great times. 
great, great times. Nice. Yeah. I, when I listen to Coach Sean speak, he is a great, like you say, great storyteller. I hear him on different shows. What you know what it is, he's genuine, just like you, you know, and he tells genuine stories and, and they're really enjoyable to hear. So awesome stuff. Let's switch it to a little, not serious note, but out of all the head coaches that you worked for, and you've been a head coach too, all the head coaches that you worked for, who were the most influential in your career in terms of, you know, shaping you as, as a man, a husband, a father, a coach? You know what? I would say it's hard. I would say that the guys who got me in was Coach Gilbertson and Coach Erickson. Even their fathers, you know, sat me down and really, really talked to me and grounded me. You know, I love working for Butch Davis and Larry Coker. Mm-hmm. You know, they gave me opportunities to, to go out and recruit and coach guys and, you know, share ideas with, with Butch and Larry. You know, it was just, it was great being at Miami. Even, you know, I, I learned a lot from Tom Rosley, the guy who was at SMU, who was mm-hmm. later Brett Favre's coordinator at the Green Bay Packers. I thought he had a brilliant mind. It, it was just, it's been a great just a great career. You know, Sean, we've been friends for a long time and coaches, smart guy, smart mind. Those guys make impact on your life that you just you just can't thank all of them enough. I don't have one special coach, but all those guys were just, you know, they were great bosses and I thought they did a good job even mentoring and helping me. Yeah, absolutely. I think all of us, we glean and we take and we absorb you know, things from all the different guys that we've had that connection with. I think that's one of the greatest, you know, aspects of the profession is building those relationships, not just with your players, but with your coworkers and your coaches. And, and like you say, how much they impact you direct and indirect ways. Right. And so, yeah, that's one of the greatest things. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move into some receiver play. Now you have been a guru of receiver play. <laughs> I mean, for years and I mean, just can't even name the amount of guys I think there's a list of guys on your bio that we, we, we talk about a little bit, but there's even more guys. It's funny you bring up players. Uh, so I was just talking today with Keith Williams and Eric Yarber. Keith is now coaching for the Baltimore Ravens. Does. And Eric is with the Los Angeles Rams. And we always compare notes, and, and they always think – I mean, look, I, I don't want to be the grandfather, but I guess, you know, <laughs> but for them, I guess I am. But we're always comparing notes. We're always going and – it, and it goes back, back to – relationships when we were playing, when they were playing, you know, we always con- kept in contact. Once you want, want you know, once you, we all together, we all in this club and uh, man, it's just awesome to have guys to, to, to see that I coach that are now coaching at, at every level. But these are two guys who are coaching in the NFL and I'm very, very proud of them. Well, absolutely. You've impacted their lives. I had Dub on the show and he, we're going to drop his episode soon. Who were some examples of the most dominant receivers you coach in your career it could be college or pro well you know when you when you say receivers I I mean you know you look at you look to guys like Darnay Scott who was with us at San Diego State and I just thought he was just you know just a fabulous fabulous athlete guy can run can do all kind of things then you know another one was Will Blackwell who later on went on with the Pittsburgh Steelers who I thought was one of the better catching receivers until I met Reggie Wayne you know, Reggie Wayne could catch the ball. He can run with it. Santana Moss, one of the most explosive guys. I coached uh, De- Devin Hurricane Esther. I called mm. him, recruited and coached him. He was a guy that's just so explosive, you know, just fast. You know, just just so many guys, man. You know, Andre Johnson was a beast. I mean, mm. if you were to, to, to pick who's a receiver, I mean, you guys 6'2", weigh 230 pounds, and runs a 4'3", and he did it on pro day and never never said a word. You know, just went out and played every day, never complained, practiced hard, 
you know, those guys. And then, you know, the guys I coached at the Saints are very proud of from Lance Moore. You know, Debbie Henderson may have been the fastest guy I've ever seen. Robert Meacham, a playmaker. And then Marcus Colston, who was just a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've never seen a guy go over the middle of the ball field to catch seam routes like Marcus. And then, you know, I got guys now like Mike Thomas who can catch everything for a big guy. He has great short area quickness. He's just so hard to guard and he catches and does everything. I had Ted Ginn, one of the fastest guys you ever see. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders could just separate and just make play after play after play. You know, it's, it's just so many guys. And then, you know, I got some guys now that's, that's just awesome players, Deontay and Traquan, those guys in Callaway. So all those guys, man, they just they just good players. And, you know, all I try to do is keep them in the league as long as I can and help them realize their dreams. Nice, yeah. And I bet you every guy that has the opportunity to be coached by you Truly appreciate you, brother. Could you genuinely care about their success and, like you say, their longevity in the league? You just mentioned a lot of these guys. Um, my next question is, what characteristics or traits do these elite players in the league that you've been fortunate to be around, what characteristics and traits do these guys have in common? It could be mental traits. It could be physical traits. But what do they have in common? The one thing I would say, even with, you know, the running backs I've been around, you say Kamara, you say Marshall. Those guys, Portis, all those guys are very similar. They have the ability to do things that no one else wants to do. You know, they would protect. They would be in a film room longer. They would study the game plan, just very cerebral at the game. It was said that Marshall used to help Peyton with his protections. Early on, Peyton actually said it early on in his career. All those guys are, are very intelligent beyond their years, and they will work themselves. They all have in common that they will work harder than anybody else in the world. Mm. They will never let anyone ever outwork them. And they are some of the most highly competitive people that if you're not competitive, you can't be around any of these guys. And so I would say smart, competitive, take care of themselves. I mean, these guys nowadays, they eat so well, you know, they they watch Mm. what they put in their bodies. They watch, you know, it's just, it's just one thing after another that, the game is elevating, elevating, ele- elevating. I mean, it's, it's just it's just a science now, you know. But the yeah. good ones are, the, you, you can't make them quit. You just can't. Yeah, you're right. The game, the evolution and the transformation of the game, and you're talking about even going into nutrition, right? These athletes are spending millions of dollars on their body to give themselves longevity in the league, you know, with nutrition, with trainers, with um, recovery, right? Recovery Absolutely. techniques. I mean, you're right. It has become a science. It's like, what's that X factor that makes these guys stand out? I always like to ask guys, especially guys like you, who have been around the elite of the elite for so long. You know, you've seen it. You have firsthand knowledge of it. Um, next question, then. You, you know, oh, you know another thing. One other thing I would say about it is, you know, the leadership. Mm. I watched. I watched Ed Reed get on Sean Taylor one day. And now Sean Taylor was 6'3", 225. I, when I recruited Sean, I would tell Sean, you're going to be a linebacker. You're going to be a linebacker. But he's like, no, I'm going to be a safety. And he was. And one day I watched Sean Taylor, Ed Reed get on Sean Taylor because Sean Taylor didn't run a wind sprint. And the, the way Ed did it was phenomenal. And then from that day on, Sean never not ran again. You know, so it's just, it's just the mentoring from those guys from passing stuff down and then the, the accepting of coaching it's another thing that I think, you know, in order to be a great player, you got to accept coaching. 
Nice. Great points, both on the mentoring side and the acceptance side. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I've seen it even at the high school level. We're not as, you know, you're not elite, but I think those things remain the same. You have guys who are going to be leaders and they're going to push the other players and in the right way. Like you said, I think that's key. What you just said, there's doing it the right way and building the respect, you know, peer to peer respect with the players where they know that if this guy's telling me to, to go, I trust him enough to say, okay, I got to work harder for you. You know, yes, I, I like absolutely. that. I like that point. Yeah. Great points. Great points. Now I want to ask you this question about player development. So let's say you got a player who comes into the league, right? And some players have a learning curve. Others are a little slower than others, you know, as far as skill development. Do you have an example of a player, and it doesn't have to be a big time all pro guy, but an example of a player who made a huge jump in skill development. Let's say he came into camp as a good player or a good athlete. And then you just saw this phenomenal growth and made, which made him into a great player. Anybody that stand out like that? I mean, I have two great examples and this will be people, you know, my first one was in college. Santana Moss was, was a guy who, and I, and I, and I don't think people know the story. He came to the university of Miami on a track scholarship. Myself and Randy Shannon recruited him in, and they ran a running offense at Carroll City High School. He only caught maybe nine passes, and they threw the ball. An all-star track athlete, and I watched him in warm-ups, you know, comparing him to some other guys, and I wanted Santana. Then the University of Miami was on probation, and I'm going to make the story short. Santana came in into camp, and he was just everywhere. But he was smart, and he was disciplined. And I'm telling you, by the end of that season, he and Reggie Wayne were the two freshmen. We knew those guys were going to be stars. Now, I didn't know they were going to be the players that they, were, that they turned out to be in college and, and in, in the NFL. But those guys, but he just came leaps and bounds from when he walked on our campus to the end of that season. You just saw it all over that he was going to be just something phenomenal. And then my second one was Marcus Coastal. You know, myself and a guy named Johnny Martin, who he's coaching with the, uh, with the Las Vegas Raiders, I better say it right, <laughs> along with our yeah. friend Tom, Tom Cable. Yeah. And so he found him through another scout, and he said, CJ, watch this kid. And Marcus didn't have very good film. He was at Hostra, and he was a little bit overweight, I would say, but he, can, he had what I would call a redeeming quality. He could go up and catch the ball. And, I, and whenever you're looking to recruit or, or get a kid, you find what their redeeming quality is if – if there is one, if there's not one, he may not be good enough, but something if a guy can run, a guy could separate, you know, I can close my eyes and tell you what every guy can do his redeeming quality. And Marcus can go up and get the ball. And they showed that. And from training camp, he was a seventh round compensatory pick mm. to by the first game of the season, he was our start next. And from then on, he broke every Saints record and was should have been all pro a couple of times. Just one of the greatest receivers, but a great story. Took care of himself, took care of his body, was a sponge, listened to everything that was told of him. But one thing he could do, he could control the middle of the field. He could go up and get it. And that, that was his redeeming quality. That's what we saw. Those are two great examples. I mean, just to see that growth, right? I like how you put it, the redeeming quality. Can we identify that redeeming quality? Speaking about receiver play, let's continue here a little bit. In your opinion, and it doesn't have to be like the top one, two, or three, but give me three fundamental skills, these elite receivers that you work with, that you must have in the NFL. I'm going to give you – if you want to have longevity in the NFL, 
I think you got to have, I think you got to be able to catch the ball with strong hands with people around you. Mike Thomas, Reggie Wayne, you put the film on, they're going to do it every time. They're going to make incredible catches. They're going to be able to do those things, you know, just like, you know, anyone else can. But you got to be in traffic, though. That's one, if you want to be an elite receiver. The second thing I think you got to have, you got to be able to separate. You got to have what I call short area quickness. Again, Mike Thomas, you know, he, he has that. You know, you look at the kid at, at, at Kansas City, Tariq Hill. It's, short, it's, it's more than just speed because, you know, Carl Lewis can play in the NFL. They have short area quickness. And you got to have a certain athleticism to move your body through space. You know, you got to be able to turn. You got to be able to turn and move. And, and almost like a Lynch Swan ballerina, you almost got to do those things. I think Emmanuel Sanders is, is one of those guys that you look at him, man, he's, he, I bet he can do ballet. You know, that, that's the kind of player he is. Nice. Yeah, those are three great points. Absolutely. And I like how you put it. You can be a track star and still not play in the NFL. You can be an elite. Absolutely. You can be Usain Bolt. But if you can't control your body like you're talking about, if you can't have short area quickness, you can't separate. Absolutely. You can be. I mean, because we've seen guys come into the league who have tried to transition from Olympic tracks, stardom there, and then not really make it in the league. And so you're right. Absolutely. So let's go back in the day now. Back, back in the days. All right. <laughs> so back in the days, you were known as one of the top college recruiters in the nation. I mean, I tell you, back, back in your day in the heyday in college now, you say CJ, everyone's like, C's, C's getting them. You know what I mean? But I want to talk about a little bit about the evaluation process, right? You know, not so much like what you look for. I mean, there's the redeeming quality, but I'm going to give you an example. One day, I think I was in your office and we were up at Cal and you showed me a clip of Marshall and you told me, you were super excited about the clip and you had said, this is the clip that showed you something because everybody, right, and correct me if I'm wrong, you had told me that most guys were recruiting Marshall Falk to play DB or as an athlete. And then you had said, no, this kid can play running back. And then you showed me the clip and you were excited saying, this was the clip and this is why. How do you determine the it factor that separates players when you're evaluating, let's say if it's a recruit trying to make it from high school into college, how do you separate and find that it factor? Well, the thing, the thing that I like about Marshall and guys like this, and, and, and you know, I can go back to, to Marshall, Hester, Roscoe Parrish. I could just name some of the guys I recruited. And all of those guys, Sean Taylor, Ed Reed, Reggie Wayne, they all were smart beyond their years. They, they all had a certain amount of smarts that – that you would say, you know what, this guy is, is ahead of the game. That was one thing. Two, and Marshall played on, I would say, an average to, to bad football team. But one thing he was, he was very versatile. He played everywhere. I like guys that play everywhere. I like guys that play multiple sports because you're not a one-trick pony, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I know these coaches, gonna, a lot of coaches going to get mad at me. But it's, it's all right to go off the track, play basketball, play football. And then if you're playing soccer or doing some other stuff, tennis, individual sports. I like that. I mm. like guys that are competitive. You know, that's, that's another thing. And then I think you, you do things in games that I think I'm going to see again. Marshall Falk on that one clip, I still have the clip. He broke nine tackles against a very good football team. And, and so you can't tell me that if, you can, if you're playing against a high caliber team and you're breaking tackles like that, some guys missed him twice in that clip <laughs> that you can't play. It's like Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor wasn't being recruited very heavily. He's at, at this little small school down the street. So me and a guy named Andrew Swayze, who was Miami strength coach, 
He's a straight coach at FIU now. And we watched Sean Taylor hurdle a guy, then run over a guy, and then run for a touchdown in the same play. I said, he can play for us. I said, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Just get the good football players. He can play for us. I watched Kevin Kelly Winslow dominate a game, a basketball game, on the boards, rebounding with one hand. And I say, look, Pete Carroll was at the game. It was New Heisel. It was, you know, a bunch of guys at the game. And I said, this kid can do this, and he can transition back up and, and up and up and down the court. He can play for us at the University of Miami. So it's just it's just seeing athleticism. Seeing athleticism, yeah. You're talking about the basketball game. I remember, I don't know if we were there together, but you talked Tony Gonzalez at Cal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Playing basketball at Cal and dominant, uh, you, and that was your guy. Tell us a little that about Tony. My, that, you, know, you know, I love Tony. And, I, and you know, I, I, I talked to Tony Costa been directly. Scott Arthur was his real, was his coach. But, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but, but we, knew, we knew going into this thing that, that Tony Gonzalez was going to be something special because he could play more than one sport. He could do more than one thing. And if you remember, Tony Gonzalez was a starter on a basketball team on a Pac-10 great yeah. team at Cal. Absolutely. Those were the days when, you know, Cal was doing really good in basketball. And uh, yeah, so I like, <laughs> and I, hey, I'm a Cal alum, so go Bears. But I, I've been, I, I <laughs> we're going to get back. We're going to get back. I've been waiting. I'm, I'm hanging in there. Yeah. So the multiple athlete guys, and like you say, looking for that athleticism. It's funny because nowadays kids are wondering, you know, how do I separate myself on film or, you know, what are the coaches looking for? The recruiting game has expanded so much to the point where it's always been tricky, you know, but now you've got these people running these camps and doing different things, but really they're not looking out for the kid. You know what I mean? And they're just trying to pocket a little bit of cash. So the, the recruiting game is different. You know, you know what you say that the number one thing, and it's funny, I was talking to Keith, matter of fact, about an hour ago, the one thing that as a receiver, which you better have to stay in the NFL's position flexibility. You, gotta, you can't just be a slide. You got to play all over. And then you got to play special teams. Man, if you were th- three or four core special team, what was that guy? Damian, was it Damian Douglas at Cal? Damian Douglas, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he played about six or seven years. He probably played four or five years too long. But he can play <laughs> yeah. special teams. He can run down on kickoffs. He catch the ball in certain situations. And guys like that, we, we always look at who's going to be up for the game, you know. You got 53. Got, who's going to be up for the game? Well, we got to have a guy like that up for the game because he's a four-core guy and he can play receiver in a pinch and we got him on certain personnel groups. Nice, yeah. I, I like how you lay that evaluation process out to get the active roster. For those who are listening, Coach C's is talking about the active roster in the NFL. Who's going to be active? Who's going to be on, on in the game that day? Absolutely. And I also like what you talk about as far as the competitive aggression, right? And I just tell our guys, listen, it's, not, it's one thing to be out here and be athletic and to do things to try to make plays. But are you trying to physically dominate your opponent who's across from you? Do you have that competitive aggression? I think there's a next level, and it's competitive aggression on every player. You know, if I play you in checkers, are you trying to dominate me in checkers? You know what I mean? If I play you in Scrabble, are you trying to destroy me in Scrabble? You know, <laughs> and those kinds of guys, I feel like, are the ones that have that mental makeup who seem to excel the most, right? Absolutely, because because here it is, man. If, if I got to make you compete or start you competing, I, I think I got the wrong guy. Mm. You know, I had a guy at the Saints, and I'm not going to call his name. I would tell him every day, you better stand next to Debbie Henderson, and you, need a, you better beat him. Mm-hmm. You better beat him running. He would never compete with him. Well, before the season came, we traded it because mm-hmm. if you can't, if you're not going to compete in in practice, you can't compete the game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, no, I hear you. I hear you. It's it's that saying, right? I'd rather say "Whoa, Nelly" than "Giddy up." 
That's right. <laughs> you know, right? Hey, if you got to say giddy up to all the players, because you're going to be out that door in a minute. Okay, another topic here. Let's talk about this one. Um, and it's more about culture, football culture, and the locker room. When they say the locker room, it's not necessarily the actual locker room, but it's the environment and the culture of the team. But take us behind the scenes a little bit and give us a picture. And I'm asking you specifically this because, and we'll let the listeners know, right? You've won a national championship with the Miami Hurricanes, 2001, and then a Super Bowl championship at the pro level with the Saints in 2010. That said, what does that type of championship locker room look like compared to other locker rooms? What's the psychology behind that? Couple things. Couple things. I would say it is player driven. The players control the locker room. The players control the team, the direction of the way the team's going. So I just remember going into the national championship game, and uh, Coach Coker was the head coach, and Larry Coker, and he was scared, and he was him and high and howling about Nebraska, how Nebraska put 70, 70 points on us, and you know uh, what, what he's done here because he was at Oklahoma State, and he was at Oklahoma, and Nebraska was really you know beating them pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as the meeting was going on, Ed Reed stood up in the middle of the meeting and said, hey, Coach Coker, we Nebraska now. We're going to put 70 on them. Mm -hmm. And so just the leadership and the team went crazy and everything like that. And that's that's the kind of leadership that you need to win a Super Bowl, you know, or to win a national championship. Drew Brees, man. Drew Brees, he was, look, more than the records, more than being a Hall of Fame quarterback, I'm just telling you, a great person and a great leader. Mm-hmm. When it was time, we, we I don't know if you remember the, the Super Bowl year for us. We were the only team that lost the last three games. We lost the last three games of the season and was the number one seed. And we had a week off and nobody knew what was going on, what was going or whatever. And I just remember Drew Brees saying, hey, look, we know how to do this. We're getting ready to do it. And he talked in the future. Yeah. This was going to happen when we win the Super This is going to happen. This is how mm-hmm. we're going to do it. And by golly, we did it. And it was like, man, Brees was the one who really, I mean, it was Sean and the coaches and the game plans and all that stuff. But golly, he was just a constant. He and John Vilmer was the constant leaders. And what they did was they competed every day. Mm-hmm. Every day in practice, we'd have a competition period and Brees and Vilmer would go at it like, like it was the last of the last. And, and those were the leaders. So, and as coach, I would tell you this was going to help your locker room you got to be the hardest on your best player Mm. if you're not demanding or hardest on your best player you're not going to be very good and that's going to portray because your voice is going in the locker room is going around is going around the building it'll be your whole your voice will be around town i love it when when players i got every saying in the book when they repeat what i say i love it because they talk in my language and they're ready to go and those players will, will take your message wherever it needs to go Nice. Yeah. Player driven, if player driven locker room, and that's the culture, that's the difference between championship and not. And I tell you, and that goes down and trickles to every level, not just pro college. It goes to high school and youth when it's player driven. I used to tell my guys, if I got to tell you to do something to be great, you're never going to be great. If you intrinsically want to be great, you're going to go out there and you're going to get extra reps. You're going to come out to early outs you're going to set a goal at getting better at something every day and have a purpose to get better at that, not just show up and go through the motions. And if you do it because 
you have the drive and the ambition and the desire inter- internally to get better. If you guys are doing that, we're going to win a championship. And you know, Seeds, if you look at it, all the years you probably won a championship at every level, you hit it right on the head. It was player-driven, and they did it because it was inside of them, not because they're told to do it from an external source, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the last thing I would say about those locker rooms, and you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, we, had, we got to own all those teams, we got a bunch of fix-it guys. Mm-hmm. No matter what happened, no matter what the call was, they're going to fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I would tell... I, I just I just remember telling because I, I recruited Antrell Rowe. I told Antrell Rowe because I'm I'm on the cornerbacks too. I say if you can't press Andre Johnson, you never play in the NFL. You won't ever be a starter on our team. And golly, every day he was out there pressing Andre. And every mistake he would ask me and he'd fix it. Now I wasn't a DB coach, but he took coaching from me. But he fixed it. You know, guys like Lance Moore. I mean, I remember for our first game here. Sean Payton was on Lance so bad he. he we got a little. He had a little option route, and he didn't get open. It was a different defense, and you're not ready. You're not ready. You'll never be a pro. And I mean, man, the next four, five, six years, Lance was the best at that option routes. I never mm-hmm. seen an option route runner so smooth as Lance Moore. So I love fixing guys. Nice. I can totally relate a little bit to that because in all the teams, regardless of the level, the ones that did the the best, they self-corrected, like you're saying, fix it, guys. Absolutely. We might have a bad series on offense, and the O-line is coming off the field, walking towards me, OC, and they're already telling us, oh, we missed the three technique. We didn't scoop and combo up. And they're correcting it before we have to get on the bench and tell them what it was, right? And Absolutely. that year, that team went 10-0. and 0. We went undefeated that year with that, that type of group. And so you're right, fixers and guys that can self-correct. Awesome stuff, man. So, so many great points, bro. Man, hey, listen, we can talk. I got to have you on the show more often. We got to get you Anytime. back. Anytime. Anytime. No, talking Look, ball. I got no one in the house but my wife, me and Angel. So and yeah, all the kids, empty nest. Empty ne- and this empty. Probably, I'm, I'm probably doing Angel a favor right now, so you're not bothering her while she's watching her shows or eating some good food or something. <laughs> yeah, tell, tell her I'm, I'm helping her out. I appreciate you, brother. Hey, awesome stuff, man. So many great perspectives. So great to catch up with you. Really appreciate your time. Before you go... We make every guest give our mantra. So I'm going to give you a tips and overthrows, and you give us the got to get those, right? And, gotcha. uh, and that's how we end. All right, here we go. Tips and overthrows. Got to get those. Got to get those. Awesome, my brother. Hey, appreciate you. That was an awesome show today, everybody. But before we get out of here, I want to give a couple shouts out. First of all, I want to say thank you to all of the folks who have been listening and downloading the episodes and sending us some great ratings and positive comments. We really appreciate you guys taking time out of your lives to listen to the show. And we hope that we've been able to impart some great knowledge and wisdom to you guys. And it's been worth your while. So thank you so much for spending your time with us. The second shout out I got to give is to our sponsor, agentsofchange.earth. That's the website, agentsofchange.earth. And they specialize in superfood nutrition. So if you're looking for a boost, it's an easy program. You're going to get some great tasting superfood in shake form and some great branched chain amino acids and super probiotics to reset your body and metabolism. So if you're looking for energy, better sleep, nourishment, detoxification, weight loss, and faster recovery, 
agentsofchange.earth. They're doing it right. If you know my background, it's in exercise physiology and kinesiology, and I'm all things health and wellness. You know what I mean? I've been teaching health and PE and coaching ball for close to 30 years, and I wouldn't promote a product that I don't use myself. So my family and I use it daily. We get a green shake a minimum, a green shake, at least a day. I tell you what, if I don't have it, my joint pain comes back, swelling. I mean, this stuff helps with everything. It's just a way to get in the nutrition that you normally wouldn't ever get in before. So if you're interested, agentsofchange.earth and click on the tab that says ultimate lifestyle transformation up at the top there and read through, do some research, check it out. It is a win-win. The company has a money back guarantee so you can try it out. On top of that, we have a promo code for you for listening to the show. Give you a discount code. It's going to drop that price. That promo code is worth over $100. So if you are interested in checking it out, place an order, sign up and use the promo code I believe. The letter I and then the word believe, no space, use that promo code, go through the checkout process, get it. It has the schedules, everything laid out for you. Very easy to follow and your body will thank you. So check it out, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Peace out. God bless. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Be sure to subscribe or follow to hear more episodes and conversations with great coaches from high school, college, and the NFL. Find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. We will be dropping new episodes soon. Mahalo and aloha. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Twitter.